Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. My name is Neely Pudera and I am here with my co-host, business partner and husband, Richard. We are the founders of Inspired Equity, the London-based investment business that specialises in property acquisitions and developments. Between us, we are world record holders, international property investors, prolific networkers, speakers and coaches. On each show, we will be discussing all aspects of successful property investing, covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments. We will be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live Q&As with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property. So tonight, um, I'm gonna be talking about a property investment strategy um, that enabled that enables you to maximise your profits through through a property um, on a single property, taking it to much higher figures of income. So it, you go from a buy to let model um, and you're moving on to it. What it enabled us to do very quickly was to move on to some of the larger developments that we're now doing today. And that strategy is HMO. So what is a HMO? A HMO is a house of multiple occupation. Um, it's traditionally a family home um, of three to four bedrooms um, split that, that you split down and break down into rentable rooms. Those rentable rooms have shared facilities. Um, so traditionally a shared kitchen and some shared bathrooms. Um, and um, where the tenant who pays uh, for their rent for their room uh, is, has all their bills included. So that's what a HMO is. So why HMO? Um, and why is that a fantastic model and one of our favourite models to invest into? The reason for that is simple, cash flow. So you're taking a, a traditional single buy-to-let property um, where you could be getting on average maybe two, maybe £300 of income a month from it. And you're breaking, by breaking it down into single rooms, you're taking that to well over £1,000 income a month. Hence why it's a strategy that we love. Now, there's many reasons why people invest into HMOs, but there's also many reasons why people get put off from dealing with HMOs. You're dealing with six different people from different families. Um, and some people have even said to me in the past, isn't that a full-time job managing um, a, a HMO property? Well, actually our answer is, it's actually one of the main investment strategies to actually be able to leave your job because of the higher amount of cash flow every month. And we certainly do not manage any of our properties. Um, so we, I will bring you on to that shortly, on to how you can find a perfect agent, that's what we're going to be talking about this evening, in order to manage those properties. Now, as I say, you're, you're taking the buy-to-let model. When you have a void in a single buy-to-let model family home, you have a void, right? No rent that you're receiving. But the difference when you're receiving, um, when, you're, when you've turned it into a typical house and what I'm going to be basing all of this talk about this evening is a traditional six bedroom HMO just for the purposes of, of, of the modelling for tonight. 
Um, so when you've got six bedrooms, um, if you have a void, then the other tenants are paying your rent and paying your mortgage, or sorry, paying your mortgage and paying your bills each month for you. Traditionally, we look at it as the first four rooms, you're covering your bills and your mortgage, and the next two rooms are pure profit. Um, so it's important to work with a great agent so you understand how quickly they get rid of voids, which is really important. Um, so, as I said, taking a profit to well over £1,000 a month, making it a much higher income, which attracts investors more because it's a higher yielding property, and it enables you to be able to work um, easily, more easily with investors' capital because you're earning that much higher income a month in order to be able to cover that. Richard, would you mind just muting yourself, please? Thank you. Um, so we've spoken about why hate the HMO strategy, but there are things to consider, and this is really important when you're looking to invest into that strategy, because people look at it as, wow, I'm just gonna split a house down, rent the rooms out, and I'm gonna earn a much higher amount. So I'm just gonna go and buy a three or four bedroom house and do it. There are so many more, there's so much more to do than that. One of the most important things to consider is demand. That there's a demand in that area you're looking at for rentable rooms. Um, you know, that it's not traditionally an apartment area or a family area near schools and, uh, you know, things like that, where it's the demand has to be there for rentable rooms. That's really important. And getting that area right is, again, really important. So you really need to understand your investment area. And knowing the demographic. So knowing the demographic of the area that you're looking to invest in will then help you determine who is going to be your typical client. So who is going to be renting those rooms from you? So could it, for example, be students? Do you get a HMO, uh, do you buy a house um, to turn into a HMO, which is very near a university? Now I emphasize the words very near because we've experienced in the past quite how lazy students can be. Um, where you purchase a property that's within a couple of hundred yards of a university, but they complain because there's a hill that they have to go up those 200 yards to the property. Um, so is it going to be a student property? That will determine how you therefore um, uh, promote the, the, the property. Is it going to be professional? Um, so is it going to be nurses, doctors, blue collar factory workers? What is your demographic? Is it going to be DSS? So is it an area where it's government funded rental payments? Um, is that the type of tenant that you want? Um, or could it be a property in an area where a charity you may well pay you to rent all of the rooms from you um, that they need for a typically an example of where they'll have a carer in that stays in a property with the people that they're looking after. Um, so there's all different types of people that could be renting your rooms, but it's you understanding what sort of demographic that you want in your property. And the best way to find that out is by walking the streets. 
So if you're looking in specific postcodes or specific areas, then knowing what type of people live in that area um, is really important. And if, if you're looking at an investment area that's, for example, a few hundred miles away, and you can't necessarily walk the streets, then you can use Google Maps, drop satellites, drop, drop pins in, and, and, and have a look at the type of area that you're looking into, and speak with local agents, which again I'll come on to in a little while. So other things to consider um, when, when investing into HMOs, and these are, all, these are all the things that could sometimes put people off, but considerations that you must absolutely take under, on board. And some of those are legislation. So legislation, HMOs are intensely legislation heavy. You have six individual, quite often young people that are your responsibility. It's your responsibility to keep them safe and to keep them looked after. And so therefore the government very quite rightly puts in place legislations to in, a, in, in order to ensure their safety. So fire, smoke, equip, uh, smoke detectors, easier routes of escape. You have to think about absolutely everything. And those legislations change extremely regularly you have to ensure that you're always up to date with the latest legislations. So sometimes the amount of legislations that you have to learn and know about can sometimes put people off. But that's just a great opportunity for the rest of us. So I would very much recommend that you either take some training in HMO, in, in the HMO strategy, or that you work with a coach or mentor that has, that has done them and that knows the legislations and that can help you set up your first one. Saying that though, working with a great agent can also be extremely helpful because if you work with a specific HMO agent, which is really important, and again, I'll go on to that shortly, um, is so important because they will know all the legislations as well and they can help you. But as a landlord, ultimately, if anything goes wrong in that property, you are 100% responsible. So you, that is why it's really important that you don't just rely on your agent or somebody else's knowledge. The, the, um, the, actually, the fines are actually unlimited. On average, they're about up to about £30,000. I know, um, which is exactly why you should get it right. A landlord actually in October 19 in Lincolnshire was fined £40,000 for not having his property up to scratch and legal. So why it's so important that you understand the legislations. HMO license. You typically need a HMO license um, which is provided by the local government and the local borough. I would highly recommend um, that you try very much to build a relationship with your local HMO department or officer. It's in your benefit to do that. As, and they, if you treat them like a normal human being and don't treat them like somebody who's trying to stop you from doing something, 
they will really want to help you because they really want to ensure that they have high standard of properties in their area. It's their responsibility to do that. So we actually really welcome because our, our investment, our HMOs are actually in a, um, uh, in a, uh, in a, an area where it's mandatory to have H, a HMO license. Typically, the, the rules, they can differ, but it, it's if you have two or more families in a property or three or more, across three or more floors, then you have to have a HMO license. But in our area, it's actually mandatory regardless, which we really welcome. And as I say, we've built that relationship with the HMO officer and she actually classes our properties as outstanding, which we're super proud of. Um, and it's, you know, it's an amazing thing to be able to go to your investors again and say the local authority brand our properties as outstanding. So that's really good, really good to have. Another um, thing is planning. Um, again, um, if you try and stick with the six or below number of rooms, then you don't normally need planning. It's not normally something that you need to worry about. Article four is something that you do need to consider. And I would say it's actually the very first thing that you should be looking for. Um, so when you first look at an area to see whether it's a good H area for HMOs, you simply just Google um, and go on to the HMO portal on your local government um, portal website to check whether there's article four in the specific postcode that you're looking for. And what is article four? It doesn't mean it's a deal stopper. It doesn't mean that you cannot have a HMO there. It just simply means that they, check, that they have restrictions for permitted development. They restrict what you can do with properties and how you can convert them. So it's really important that you check that first. But again, staying below the six people will, will, will help that. And of course, the setup costs. Um, and the setup time that it takes to convert a property. Um, there are setup costs. Um, in order to convert a, a, a typical family house, it does cost um, money. It's dependent on the type of property you go for. So many people go for a traditional Victorian property, a two up, two down property, um, where I've seen them converted a two up, two down, maybe three bedroom um, property, Victorian terraced house, uh, and they'll go in, remove floors, turn it into a three floor house. Um, and, you know, these things cost a considerable amount of money, all with a view to maximise your profits. Um, but that is something to consider. And actually, one thing that, that I'll come on to that shortly, actually, but these are all things that, that you have to bear in mind. But again, if you're working with the right agent, those set up time and costs can reduce greatly. So that's really important. Another thing that you must consider, and, and this sounds an odd thing to say at the, do, at the beginning of doing a property, but your exit strategy. What is your exit strategy? You're not gonna always necessarily want to keep the investment possibly if anything goes wrong god forbid you have to be able to potentially convert it back into a family home so if you go stir crazy and turn a two up two bound 
a two or three bedroom house into a five or six bedroom HMO, all with ensuite bathrooms, you've got to think about the cost of changing that back to a family home. And why might you need to change it back to a family home? And this is something that Richard and I feel really strongly about. Property training courses and companies quite often teach you to buy a property cheap, convert it into a HMO, refinance it on a commercial mortgage. So what that means is that you're not refinancing it based on the bricks and mortar value, you're refinancing it based on the rental income that you will receive from the property, which can greatly multiply the, 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 um, the property value. And it sounds great, right? You put money in, you pull nearly all of the money out in most occasions, and then you've got a, a great cash flow every month for not very much money left in. But what if? You always have to think about the what if. Now, one of my mentors and one of our good friends shared a story with us where he had a number of HMOs around a university in Wales. They were all for students um, and it was great absolutely amazing for many years he was getting a fabulous return what happened the university moved to the other side of Swansea and all of a sudden those 10 or so HMO properties that he had didn't have the demand that demand wasn't there anymore therefore the commercial value wasn't there anymore and all of a sudden you have a property that is just worth the bricks and mortar now, which therefore leaves you and, and, and can easily leave you in a negative equity situation. So you have to always be thinking about the exit strategies. What if it's really important when you convert a property to a HMO? So on that subject, I saw one of the other things that people can have to consider is the cost of the conversion. And as I mentioned there, I, I know people that have turned a two up two bedroom, two up two down house into a three storey, six bedroom HMO. They've bought the property for 60,000, uh, sorry, say 90,000 pounds they buy the property for. They spend between 60 and 70 doing it up and, and converting it into a HMO. They've had it re, they've had the re-evaluation and they've been able to pull some money out. But ultimately that property is still only worth about 120,000 pounds on that on that bricks and mortar value. So you can spend a really high amount, especially on Victorian properties, which is the typical type of properties that many, many people go for. And you have to just weigh up the, the differences. So Victorian properties, they cost a lot to convert, as I've just said. You have to think about the running costs to heat, a, a, you know, to heat a Victorian property costs more than it does a modern property. The running costs, the maintenance costs on a much older property are also naturally higher than a, than, a, than a newer type of property. There's no parking quite often with terraced houses. 
Um, and we made the mistake quite early on of, of we, were to, we started off looking at Victorian properties and we were looking in and around a hospital. And I remember somebody said to us, do you, not, do you think nurses and doctors don't drive? You don't think they need a car? You don't think they need, you know, and there's six people living in this property. There's no parking. These are all the small things that people don't consider. The, um, also, that, as I said, you know, the cost of conversion and more importantly, the time that it takes to convert a Victorian property or an older property, should I say. It can take up to six months, you know, especially at the moment with a backlog of builders, you know, builders are all suddenly extremely busy um, trying to get quotes from builders and, and, you know, it can be painful, but it can take six months to convert a, a, an older property like that with all of the conversion things that you need to do. And in those six months, what many sources, especially, and people who are looking at and, and analysing deals don't consider and take into account is the cost of money over those six months. You still have to pay the mortgage. You still have to pay the electricity that you're using for the conversion and the water and the insurance. There's six months of costs there that you have to consider when converting an older type of property. So those are the things you need to consider. Now, we don't do those types of properties. We don't do the two up, two down model. We don't do the older conversion type model. Um, we don't do the finance out on a commercial mortgage. We would never touch that, if I'm honest. Um, we don't do that. What we do do um, is we're able to actually convert our, going back slightly, we invest in the southeast, um, where is traditionally a capital appreciation area as well. And instead of those six months up to that it can take to convert a property, our properties take four weeks from taking from receiving the keys to it being fully let. So would you like to know how we do that? I think so. <laughs> so how do we do that? I'm going to take you right back to the beginning where we first started investing into HMOs a fair few years ago. And how did we start off? We started off by walking the streets, walking the streets of your investment area. After you've done some online research, walking the streets. Now, as I say, we were looking in and around a hospital. So we thought our typical clients were going to be nurses and doctors who didn't drive. And um, we, we were having a look around, we walked the streets. By doing that, by walking the streets, what you're doing, you're not only seeing the type of people that are around, you're seeing the quality of, of the properties that are around there as well. You're taking note of all of the letting agent boards that are around. Um, there was one particular agent that was very prolific in the area. Um, and you're seeing how they're looked after. So you're seeing the rubbish build up that there could be potentially building up outside the property. You're seeing if there's net curtains hanging down from the window or, you know, how well the, the properties are maintained. And that will give you a good feel for the type of letting agent that, because 
A good letting agent will want their properties to always look great. They won't allow, they know the local legislations, so they know that the council can put, impose heavy fines on the landlord for having too much rubbish outside. Um, and they want their properties to look good. So by doing that, you, you're gauging the local agents. Um, we then check not only on the streets, but we then also check on Spare Room, the website Spare Room. Um, and we'll see the typical properties that that agent are letting. So we'll see inside as well. And we'll also check out the other agents in the area that, that are advertising the most rooms on Spare Room. And what we'll also be doing is checking how the quality is of their advert. What language do they use? You know, how good are their photos? You know, are they a good letting agent? Do they look a professional act? Now, then what we do is we call the agents. And you can do it in two different ways. You can either pretend that you are a tenant looking to rent a property, rent a room, and get them to show you around some of their rooms after, you know, in that way. Or what I tend to do is I explain to them that I'm looking to buy a number of HMOs in the area and I'm looking for a good agent to work with. That way you're being honest with them straight away. Um, and here are some of the questions that you should ask um, the agent. So one of the most important, and I'd say the first question you should ask, because the, the difference is many agents will try and tell you they're a HMO agent, but many of them aren't. They really aren't. They may have a couple of rooms on their books, but I cannot express the importance of having a HMO specific agent. They can have other properties as well, but they really have to be experienced so that you can feel confident in them whilst you're not there because you don't want anything to do with it once you've fully let it. So one of the most important questions you should ask is how many rooms do they manage? Do they currently manage? And that number should be over 100. That will demonstrate to them, to you, that they have several HMOs and that they can handle that many rooms. So what check, another question is what checks do they do? Is it, um, is it just previous um, tenant reference checks? Is it employer checks? Do they have guarantors? What checks do they do um, in order to get a tenant onboarded? What is their average void rate? Um, you know, are they commissioned on reducing the void rate in properties? That's another good question to ask. How do they advertise? Now, you will have already hopefully seen them on Spare Room, but ask them, how do they advertise? Do they have a waiting list? You know, do they have a backlog of people looking for rooms? That's really important. Do they have a power team? Really important question. Do they have a power team of plumbers, electricians? Do they have the power team needed that if anything goes wrong, they can act and keep your tenants as happy as possible? Because the last thing you want is for one tenant's radiator in their room to not be working and then, then to go into the kitchen and complain to the other people in the house, my, my radiator is not working, I'm cold, I don't have hot water, 
you need a power team on hand that can fix it straight away. Um, are they able to connect you with other landlords, other HMO landlords? That's really important because if they can't, if they can't give you contact details of somebody that you can get in touch with to ask them what their experience is of the agent, then there's a warning sign, right? So can they connect you with them? Then once you're happy with those questions, you then organize a face-to-face -face meeting. And when I say a face-to-face -face meeting, I, I would say reserve half a day to spend time with that agent. So to not only get them to take you to their, to their properties and to show you some examples of rooms and some examples of um, communal space in their properties, but then also to take you back to their office and so that you can sit there in their office with them and talk about the type of rental properties they have. And I'll go on to that in a little bit more detail. Now, when, we had, when I had that face-to-face -face meeting, John met the first agent who had all the property, all the billboards in the area we were looking at. And straight away, I realized they were not an agent we necessarily wanted to work with. The guy was so helpful on the phone to me. Letting agents are really helpful. They want business. And they will feed the all sorts of questions, the graphic of the type of tenant in that area give you a helpful guy but when he took me and like face-to-face meeting to his properties the properties just were not up to standard um, for what we wanted as i say our properties are branded outstanding our properties are always we always put in um, modern furniture we all try as much as we can and have ensuite bathrooms we always have a desk in every room flat screen tvs that desk has been invaluable throughout lockdown. Not only are they able, people able to easily work from their rooms, but they're also able to eat dinner in their rooms as well. Many people use them as a, a table to eat their dinner. So we have high standard of rooms and we knew that that agent wasn't gonna be right for us. So I called another agent who was advertising a lot on spare room. He again was extremely helpful. I spent half a day with him and that was the point everything changed. We were, were looking at Victorian properties. He took us to properties that were on the outskirts of the town and the cities we were looking in, not in the, ins, not in the city centres where there's parking issues. They were on the outside of the town in new or up to 10 year old, new three storey townhouses. Now they, we hadn't considered them. Um, Richard was actually away diving and I went and did the visit by myself and he called me that evening and I, after I'd been spent the afternoon with the agent and I said, everything's changing. Our strategy's out the window. We're no longer going for that anymore. We are going for new townhouses. Now they are more expensive. We were looking at three bedroom terrace properties with maybe two reception rooms. These were four bedroom, three storey townhouses with two reception rooms that we we're now looking at. So they are naturally more expensive to purchase in the first place. But the quality um, of the rooms was far better 
the quality of the, um, uh, uh, you know, the naturally more modern, newer, newer kitchens, newer bathrooms, you know, they, they were a much nicer feel property to be in. They actually come with garages as well, most of them, so that we rent out separately so that we have another rental income from the garage um, rental each month as well. And they have parking. They don't have the yellow lines. They have at least one allocated parking space, but then actually quite a lot of parking in or around the property as well. So again, eliminated that issue. And what we quickly established was that what our typical demographic was actually blue collar workers, distribution centre workers, factory workers, who are all on different shifts, who don't need to have a communal area. Our, our properties have um, large enough kitchens to have a nice amount of space for them to be able to eat together in the kitchen diner. And that's all they need. Um, more importantly, the properties are so easily reconfigurable. They, we literally cut doors out of walls and easily implement and, and install ensuite bathrooms very easily. And what that enables us to do is save a ton of time, a ton of money, um, and you know, you've, you, you've got the parking, you've got the, the separate rent from the garage. And if you're working well with the agent and their power team, you can convert that property within weeks. We have installed ensuite bathrooms. We have reconfigured bathrooms so that they're now an ensuite for another room next to it. And it's so simple and so easy. They're already three stories. So they already have the fire and smoke regulations, the fire doors that you need. So you're saving so much money on that conversion cost. And I'm talking breaking it down to about a quarter of the price on, on converting a much older property. Now, all of that, whilst you're working with the agent um, at the same time on marketing your property. So what we, what we then did, once he then took us, he took me to the properties, I fell in love with them. He then took me back to his office and he sat down and showed me the numbers the conversion costs that him and his power team had done on other properties. And he sat there and he talked me through. Now this, again, if you've, if you've got an agent with a great power team, they'll be able to easily show you these types of costs. It also had a, a checklist, a checklist for, um, I asked, I, I, at the time I didn't know this was something I should ask for, but he forthcomingly, brought forward this amazing document, which was a clear defined checklist of everything needed to, uh, for every HMO room and every HMO property. It instilled confidence in me. But what also happens is when you go back to their office and you're just sitting there with them, you're seeing tenants coming in and out. You're seeing potential new clients coming in and out of their office. You're seeing a power team coming in and out of their office. You're hearing how they take the phone calls. You're hearing how they deal with tenants. You're all in all feeling far more comfortable in that this agent is going to be able to look after you properly. And if they have that power team, 
what we then went on to do, we actually bought four HMOs at once. They were our first four HMOs. <laughs> so we didn't just buy one, we bought four. And um, we, we, um, when we did that, we, we were lucky enough to find them all just after Brexit. And we um, went, uh, we took on a second viewing because we'd felt comfortable in our, um, in the power team of the agent that we decided to go with, we took that power team, we took the maintenance guys with us on the second viewing of these properties that we wanted to buy. And we asked them what their opinion was, where should things go? What, what should we do here? How should we configure this room? And that again instilled confidence in that they know the legislations, they already work with the HMO officers, they know what's needed in your local area. And it's another really important um, uh, part of it is that their power team, you feel comfortable with them and their builders, you naturally go and get multiple quotes for the work, but we actually found, found that they were very confident, competent and they really wanted our business, the agent and the power team. So we, you know, we worked perfectly with them. And what all of that enables you to do is when you, when you buy the property, we never actually saw um, the property when we first bought it. The power team in our area went and collected the keys and started the work for us. This had all been planned out, of course. We'd worked with the agent, we'd worked with the power team. They all knew exactly what we wanted in each room. They started to crack on with the work and we then went up and naturally visited um, the, the properties. But, it, but, it, but we felt the confidence in them. Then at the same time of them doing the work and giving us weekly updates on the progress of the work, and I'm talking about these properties, you can install an ensuite bathroom within two days because of, because of how easily configurable they are. We were getting such rapid updates. And at the same time, the agent knows the progress from their power team and they can be talking excitedly about a new and exciting um, house that they've got coming up onto their books in the next few weeks. So when they're showing people around their properties, other properties and other rooms, they can be building the hype up for our properties that are coming on the market as well. So what all of that means is that they're working with the power team, they know the progress and by the time the, the property has finished and the works are complete, we'd already started showing people the rooms. And our record actually for fully letting a six bedroom HMO was seven hours. So we, it had finished the day before, they had a stack of viewings already booked up for the next day and within seven hours, the whole property had let out. And all of that means doing all of that due diligence first, working with the agent, working with the power team, all of that means that you can turn around a property within just four weeks. And that's the strategy that we use. So if you'd like to learn some more on that, I, I conclude by saying that I've, I wrote an article on how to convert a property into a cash flowing HMO within four weeks. And you can go online and see those details um, at 
inspiredequity.com forward slash news and the articles on there. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about us and what we do, go to inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.